Okay. Um, well, let's start with prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for being here in our presence tonight. We thank you for your spirit, which guides us, teaches us, directs us, comforts us, and does everything else, Lord. Thank you for being in our bodies, in our souls, in our spirits, with your spirit, that we may know you more. So, Father, everything that is spoken tonight, we pray that you will, with through the Holy Spirit, will help us to understand, open our eyes, lift a veil that we can see, that we can understand what you're trying to say to us tonight. And we ask this all of you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, if you know the creation story, you may not know, you may know it a little bit better after you leave tonight. At least I hope so. Um, that's my goal anyway. There's a lot of material here. Everything that's in here, we will not cover tonight because it's just too much and we only have an hour. Plus, I'm going to um, focus on other parts. What's that? Well, part two next week. No, next week's, I've already started on next week's, and I'm really excited about it. It's about Joseph. And um, as I was doing more research, I learned more things that I didn't know. Um, it's just, a, it's a pretty amazing story, the story of Joseph. If you want to see Jesus in the Old Testament, that's really the place to look, is Joseph. I mean, he's definitely in creation. He's with Moses, David, Elijah. But the story with Joseph next week is going to be pretty good. Okay. Um, just want to make sure the sound's okay on Facebook. So we know that the story of creation is at the very beginning of Genesis. You open up the Bible, the first couple of pages, and the very first thing we read is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I can't find Genesis 1 in my Bible. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I had this big forward in there, and I didn't realize it was in there. And the earth was formless and desolate, and emptiness and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. And that's how it all began. Five verses, and the first day. Now, there's so much we could cover just in that first word, in the beginning. It's one word in Hebrew, it's called Bereshit. And in that one word, there's seven letters. We know that number's important, Right? Um, the fact that it begins with a B, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But there's just so much, even in just that one word, the very first word of the Bible. And then we got the whole rest of the Bible to tell us about Jesus, but we can find him in that first word. And I wish I had time to go through it all tonight, but I'm telling you, if I got started on that, we wouldn't finish tonight at all. But maybe part two, as Dave would say. But even in that... There's a lot that we can talk about in just the, the first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's where we're going to start tonight. Um, but first, I want to quote Isaiah 46.10. God says, I have shown you the end from the beginning. I have shown you the ways of old from, or shown you the ways, the new ways from the days of old, something like that. But he's shown us the beginning or shown us the end from the beginning. And tonight we're going to investigate some of that and how that's true. So first thing I want to bring up is the fact that the very first letter in Hebrew, and if you look down on the bottom of page one, it has the first sentence in Hebrew. that is translated as, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it is, I'm going to try this. Now I'm not fluent in Hebrew, but I'm going to try this. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamim ve'et haaretz. That one always gets me caught up, haaretz. But basically, those seven words in Hebrew, and you can count them up, there's seven there, 
basically say in the beginning, or it says right there, right there at the bottom, it tells you, beginning created God at the heavens and the earth. Notice that there's no word by et. It's untranslated word. It's used two times in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and in Zechariah, I think it's 12.10, but I, don't, I also don't think I put it in this study guide, so I don't know. But anyway, the one in Zechariah, and it may not be the correct verse, but it basically says that they will look upon the one whom they pierced. And if you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the guards came up and pierced him in his side, which is very significant of the creation, and we'll get into that tonight. Pierced him in his side, but and then they all just looked at him. And that was a fulfillment of Zechariah, and again, I think it's 1210. Um, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. But that letter, that word, that E-T, is two letters. It's the Aleph and the Tav. And you're like, what's Aleph and Tav? Well, I would say it's the A and the Z. Does that make any more sense to you? If I say it's the A and the Z, it's the first letter and the last letter of the alphabet. In Hebrew, Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. Tav is the last letter of the alphabet. So it's the beginning and the end. It's in Greek, the Alpha and the Omega. If you've ever read the book of Revelation or had someone talk about it, you may have heard, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's saying, in a sense, I am this word here, the fourth word. And again, what's number four? Anybody remember? Four is for the Messiah. So the fact that it's the fourth word, it's already pointing to Jesus. It's the beginning and the end. It's the first and the last. And it's right next to God. So he, as John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with him in the beginning. And there he is. This word is essentially Jesus right next to Elohim, which is God. So Jesus is with God in the beginning. Hidden in the Bible. When, the, when English scholars started translating the Bible, they said, what is this word? What does it mean? And they, they could only find it twice in the entire Bible. So they just said, okay, we know that this is beginning, created God, heavens and earth. We're just going to throw it in there, but we're not going to translate it. Well, here it was Jesus, hidden in the very beginning of the Bible. Did everybody get that? Any questions about that? Zechariah, and then right here in Genesis 1.1. It's the fourth word of Genesis 1.1 in Hebrew. You won't find it in an English Bible. Because it's not translated. Okay. So on the first day, God said what we read earlier, let there be light. And he separated the light from the darkness. We know that Jesus is the light of the world, right? I don't think anybody would argue with that. We sing the songs. We know from going to church, Jesus is the light of the world. But it's significant to know that the world was in darkness, without form. It was, um, as it says, it was desolate, emptiness and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So God says, let there be light, and all of a sudden, there's light. Light pierces the darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So the fact that God said, let there be light, he's saying, let light come into this world that I am creating. He started with light. He started with goodness. We can associate this light with Jesus, which further goes along with what John said in John chapter 1, 1. I'll quote that a lot tonight. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with Him in the beginning. So this is just John's further trying to show how he understands that in the very beginning when God created everything, Jesus was there. Oh, we're going to see even more. So hang on. <laughs> it's about to get fun. Okay. Um, Genesis one i I'm going to read it from my Bible. Then God said, let us 
make mankind in our image according to our likeness. So he uses three words there. Instead of saying, let me, he says, let us. And instead of saying, make mankind in my image, he says, our image. And according to our likeness. So who do you think he was talking to? The answer is not squirrel. (laughs) Even though it looks like a squirrel, it's not a squirrel. No, he's talking to Jesus, right? He's talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit right there. He's, you know, I've heard somebody, uh, a friend of mine said that he's he's self-employed, and he says, wait a minute, I need to have a board meeting. Okay, I'm done, because he's the only person. So he's kind of talking to himself, but in a way, it's, it's like God is one. There's only one God. There's not three gods. There's one God, just as I am a father, a husband, and a son, and I'm still just one. Thankfully, right, Tanya? <laughs> I'm just one, but I'm three parts. So God is just one God, but he is a father, a son, and a Holy Spirit. So he's saying, we're going to create man in our image. Shows that we are truly made in the image of God. Now, some will argue that the us is speaking to the angels. Um, there is some, there's a lot of debate on where, when the angels were created. Were they created before the, uh, before God said, let there be light? Or were they created on the second day? Which I don't know where, where people get the second day, but that's what many people say. But I believe that God was saying, let us, meaning let's let the world know that from the beginning, I had a plan to send my son and my Holy Spirit to all of you, and we're going to make you all in the image of God. And that's quite an honor, isn't it? We, have, we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. I think the body part's pretty easy. We, we can see our body, Okay. But where we sometimes falter and don't understand is in the soul and the spirit part. And one way I like to explain it is, if you think of God as a father and a son and a spirit, when we look at Jesus, he is the embodiment of God. He was a physical being. He was a man. That's the body that we that represents our body. The Holy Spirit represents our spirit that is in us or our spirit represents the Holy Spirit, I should say. Um, And then, so that leaves God the Father, and what's the last part? We're body, soul, and spirit. So God the Father is like our soul. He took a part of who He is and put it within us, in our soul. No other creature in creation has a soul. We are the only ones. And with it, we think, we make choices, we essentially... We live a life different than an animal who has instincts, who I know can understand words because our dog understands a lot of words. She's a very smart dog, but she doesn't think for herself. She sees the mailman, she starts barking. It's an instinct, and it's a a lot of conditioning. But we have choices, and it's an amazing thing that we can make a choice We're not forced into anything. We don't rely on instincts, so we do have them, but we don't rely on them. So we have choices, and that comes from our soul. Okay? So now we're going to start getting into some really, something really interesting. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So first thing I want to point out is, he said, it says he created male and female. Now when we get to Genesis chapter 2, we read that God put Adam into a deep sleep and pulled out a rib and created woman from Adam, from, from his rib. But here, it's just being very gen- general and saying he created them male and female. And that's also very important because God did not create a wolf with a sentient mind. He did not create cats or dogs with sentient minds. He created male and female. So this whole gender ideology thing just gets thrown out the window 
with Genesis 1.27, if you believe the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, then that's probably why you believe in this gender ideology nonsense that's going on in the world. But enough of that. So notice in the handout here on page two, I have created, highlighted three times. It's in bold, three times. You may have heard me say this either in Bible study or in church. There are no idle words in the Bible. If a word is in the Bible, it has a meaning. I don't care what that word is. It has a meaning in the Bible. The fact that this is in here three times, real close together, is extremely significant. And I'm going to explain why. So Hebrew is a lot more complicated than, well, some people might say easier, but I think it's a lot more complicated than English because um, the word created, though it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, that's interesting. It's seven letters. Seven letters in English, it's only three in Hebrew. Basically, Hebrew doesn't have vowels, okay? Um, they have vowel sounds, like the, the letter Aleph, the very first letter. It, has an, it can be an A or an E, and it has an A or an E sound, depending on the rest of the letters to go with it. But where we have vowels to help explain what our words are, there are three letters in the word created, and they are B, R, and A. If you go back to page one, the word, the second word there, bara, we add, when we, when we translate Hebrew words into English so we can understand them, we add these vowels in here to help us understand what they are. Like, for example, bare sheet has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight letters in English. It's only seven letters in Hebrew. Elohim, I believe, is five letters in Hebrew. So we add in these vowels to kind of give it an English-sounding word that we can translate. Because we can't, because we don't speak like um, the Jews with the the actual making that sound like they're choking is actually helps them understand what they're actually saying. It's the emphasis, they put emphasis on different letters too with little jots and tittles. Like you might see a little line underneath a, a letter or a couple of dots underneath a letter. That is also how it helps us to interpret whether it has a, a vowel with it or not. But anyway, enough of that. We're not here to learn Hebrew, but it's three letters. The letter B is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If we go to the very last word, in the Bible, the very last word in the Bible. Does anybody know what it is? It's real easy. You say it. What's that? The end. No, not the end. We say it every Sunday. Amen. Amen. Amen is the very last word in the Bible, and it ends with the letter N. And in Hebrew, it's the letter Nun, N-U-N. Um, but it has the N sound, so we have a B and an N. Now, a B and an N together make a Hebrew word. But we have to throw a vowel in there to make it meaningful. So when translating the word BN, which is Ben, if to translate it as Ben, we put the letter E in there, but it means son, S-O-N. The very first letter of the entire Bible is a B. The very last letter is an N. The word means son in Hebrew. It's all about the son. The entire Bible from beginning to end is about Jesus, about the Son. So in this word, bara, that very first letter is B, which we now know in some way represents the Son. The next letter, R, is resh, and the very first letter of the word for Holy Spirit is R. So he's the ruach, is how you say it in Hebrew, the ruach. Now the last letter is um, a or Aleph. And again, the letter Aleph can be used as an A or an E. And in every single name of God, Abba, Father, Av, Adon, Adonai, um, Elohim, El Roy, El Nisi, and the list goes on. Every single word for God in Hebrew begins with the letter Aleph, or in this case, A.
So in that word created, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit represented by those three letters. The B is the Son, the R is the Spirit, and the A is God the Father. So all three of them were active in creation. Colossians 1.27 says that all things were created by Him and for Him. Created by Him and for Him, talking about Jesus. So I just thought that was so cool how three times for the Trinity, three letters, and those letters represent the Father, Son, and Spirit. Did everybody get that? Because I can cover it again if you have questions. Okay, so we now have the world created. Adam and Eve are walking in the garden. I'm going to... Chapter 2 of Genesis... And so the heavens and earth were completed and all their heavenly lights. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And that's not the part I wanted to read. Oh, here it is, chapter 3. Okay. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on that day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So I'm going to jump ahead, just keep that in mind for a moment, and then I'm going to jump ahead to verse 8. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and a man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves because they were afraid, because they knew that they had done wrong, and they knew they were in trouble. But the fact that God was coming to them shows us, and it says in here that they would walk with the Lord to, they were, um, can't remember exactly where it says it now, but they would walk with the Lord. They, every single day of their lives, they lived with God. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They understood Him. They knew Him. There were no questions about who He was and what their role was. So the serpent which represents Satan. Um, if, in case some of you don't know, he was kicked out, of the, kicked out of heaven. He wanted to be like God. He started a rebellion, and he convinced one-third of the angels to rebel against God. He was going to take over. He was going to be God. And God simply said, Michael, go handle this. You know, God didn't even have to do anything. He just said, Michael, go handle this. Michael comes down, takes kicks... Satan out of heaven. And so now he's trying to destroy us. From the very beginning, when God created something that he thought was greater than he was, because he had a soul and Satan doesn't have a soul, he wanted to destroy God's creation. So he brought in some words. And it's, this is kind of an interesting thing. The fourth letter of our alphabet is D. The fourth letter of the Greek alphabet is Delta, which is also D. Fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Dalit, which is also D. So no matter which of these three, and I picked those three because we speak English, and the Bible is written in both Hebrew and Greek, so it has some significance. But every case, the fourth letter is a D. Okay? And what's four? Four again, the number four? for the Messiah, right? So, what does Satan do? He bring, he introduces doubt. Did God really say 
you must not eat. He brings in doubt. And next came denial. So let me read it again. Did God really say... You certainly will not die. Okay, he's denying what God has said. You certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And then came disbelief. Eve said, hmm, maybe we won't die. Maybe we we can eat from this tree. And then, finally, it leads to disobedience. Because God said, don't eat it. And they did. That's disobedience. When you tell your child, don't do this, and they look at you and smile and do it anyway, (laughs) that's disobedience. Now, that's never happened, right? (laughs) And we never did that to our parents, no. So these four words were brought in by Satan. Doubt, create doubt in your mind. Surely you won't die. Denial, God knows you're going to be just like him. Disbelief, hmm, maybe he's right. And then finally, taking it and eating and bringing in disobedience. The four D words that led to the fall of all of us. But what actually happened in this fall? If, if somebody doesn't mind speaking up, I'd like to know if anybody thinks the way I used to think. What really happened, and, and not just say, well, we sinned, and that's how sin came into the world. What do you think really happened that moment they ate from that tree? If you don't know, that's okay, but I just want to see if anybody wants to take a guess. A storm. I'm sorry? A storm. A storm? Mm-hmm. Darkness. Darkness? Okay, sure. You sure? They, I'm glad you said that, because we're going to actually talk about that in a little bit. Darkness came into the world. Um, I used to always think, well, God was punishing us for eternity, or not really eternity, but punishing all of us. It's just as a punishment, okay? It's more than just a punishment. What happened was many things were broken. We were created to be spiritually connected to God, to live forever. Did they die in that day? Yes, they died spiritually. Their spirit was disconnected from God. And so they died, because when your spirit is disconnected from God, it's spiritual death. Their physical bodies were still alive, but they were going to suffer death when their physical bodies decay and die, because they can't live forever without a spirit. So they suffered death in that day. So God was not just saying, you will die, you, you surely will die. They actually died. Another thing that happened, we are actually talking about this before everybody came in, Adam blamed Eve, well, this woman, that, and then she, he blames God, that you gave me, gave me the fruit and caused me to eat it. So he's, he's causing relational problems right away. It was the first ever marriage, marital fight on that day. <laughs> do, we know, do we know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden? Do we know what? Uh, yes and no. I, that I don't know. That we don't know for sure. Um, I'm sure there's Jewish tradition that has something, and it's probably pretty accurate, but I don't know what it is. But I know how long they lived. Um, Genesis chapter 4, I believe, tells us. Um, somewhere it tells us they were 900 and some years old. Yeah when they finally died. I don't remember the exact number, but yeah, it is in there. But I don't know how long they were walking with God and living with God until that happened. Could have been one day, could have been a hundred years. I don't know. I don't know. But so so they broke the spiritual connection. They broke the relational connection. And then there was the whole emotional or psychological problem. And that is, they lost their identity. Their identity was in God in that moment. They knew who they were. They didn't have to question anything. They were creations of God. But knowing good and evil, they now, and being kicked out of the garden, they're like, 
who are we now? They became something completely different. And ever since then, people have been struggling to find their identity. And we see it a lot in our world today. With people that are, I am not happy with myself, I think I am this. And that's what they latch onto, and that's what they become. They try to. They, you can't change your identity. We are still children of God. But we don't know that all the time. And until we realize that, until we work on that, we're going to be struggling. We're going to say, I'm too short, I'm too fat, I'm, I got the wrong color hair, I got the wrong, my fingers are too short, my toes look weird. You're going to find something wrong with you, okay? Because you're not connected to God. And that's all part of our identity, and that's something that broke with what um, Adam and Eve did. And finally, there was the physical exile. We should be eating from the best fruits of the garden right now, but we have to eat McDonald's and Chipotle. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Those are two t completely different things, too. But what I'm saying is we are, we are not with God. Okay, we were physically kicked out. And that's what I always thought, you know, okay, so God punished us by kicking us out of the garden, but there's so much more to it. And that's the spiritual death, that's the loss of identity, and the relational problems. We fight with one another, sibling rivalry. And you can see, if you take two children at about three years old and you set them on the floor right here and front of us and we put a ball in the middle if they're both interested in that ball you will see sin in action because they're going to fight over that ball and then one of them is probably going to pick it up and throw it at the other one <laughs> so there's all kinds of brokenness in this world because we got disconnected from God but that's where Jesus comes in so on the cross on page four you'll see on the cross is how Jesus restored it all. The cross was a cure for what ails us. Um, Paul makes a reference to the first Adam being Adam in the garden and calls Jesus the second Adam. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and left the world through second Adam, Jesus Christ. So the cross is meant to take those four things that were broken and put them back together. It had to be a cross. You know why? I remember the first time I read this, I was, my mind was just blown. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Well, that, because that's what the Romans used, right? No, that's not why it had to be a cross. What did Eve pick from? What was it physically? Well, but what did she, where did she get it from? The fruit that she got, where did she get it from? A tree, which is what? Wood, which is how they made the cross. Since because of a tree, sin came into the world, because of a tree, it left the world. So that's why it had to be a cross. If the Romans had been, their main um, execution method was firing squad, Jesus still would have died on a cross. It had to be a cross. It had to be the wood. It had to represent the tree. And in fact, many ways in the Bible, or many times in the Bible, people will say, um, make a reference to Jesus on a tree. Peter makes a reference to Jesus on a tree. Um, in Colossians, Paul makes a reference to Jesus on a tree. They call it the tree because they know that connection of because the sin was from a fruit of a tree, he had to die on a tree. But wait, there's more. Satan incited the Romans to bind, harm, and, and bind and beat, bind, and harm Jesus by crucifying and putting him on a crown of thorns on his head. He thought he could destroy the plan of God by just totally destroying Jesus. But his hands were pierced because it was hands that stole from the tree. His feet were pierced to fulfill what Genesis 3.15 said regarding the heel of the that he would strike the heel of the woman's seed, or Jesus, and that Jesus would crush the serpent's head. So the serpent would bruise his heel, pierce his heel, but when Jesus returns, he will put his foot down and crush Satan's head. 
So Satan has bruised his heel by getting the Romans to put nails through his feet. His side was pierced to make atonement for Eve's failure since she came from Adam's side. So the piercing in Zechariah, I think it's 1210, um, and I'm probably way off. But anyway, in Zechariah, they will look upon the one whom they pierced. And in that phrase is that word from the beginning, E.T., not the extraterrestrial, the Aleph Tav, to make atonement for what Eve, wasn't her fault, I'm not saying it's her fault, I believe it was Adam's fault, but because she was the one who picked the fruit from the tree and she came from Adam's side, his side was pierced. So all these things are not just happening by chance. God had it all planned that Jesus would die this way to show us and the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So on page four there, I have some ways that he reversed the spiritual, physical, emotional, and relational exiles by allowing himself to be nailed to the tree, reversing our spiritual disconnection because he was spiritually alive. He suffered the death that we suffer by not being spiritually alive. So he took that death for us and gave us spiritual life. He reversed the relational exile by being rejected and betrayed, and yet he still extended forgiveness. He reversed the emotional exile when he was rejected by God, but still, I'm not sure what I was trying to say there, but still raised. He established his identity and allows us to find identity in him. And he reversed the physical exile by physically suffering on the cross, physically suffering death that we deserved, and he was willing to do it for us. So in the creation with the, the fruit, the tree, all that had happened and was destroyed, Jesus completely reversed it all. And with the same symbolism that we have in the Old Testament, we have in the Gospels as well. So tell me, can anyone say that he is not the Messiah with all this proof? So that ends that part of it. And I do have some bonus content that I want to go through, but I want to make sure nobody has any questions first. You kept on referencing the word created. Yeah. Seven in English, three in um, Hebrew. Completion, right. Yes, that's good. He completed them, right. That's good. That's good. No, I like that. That's that's actually very good. I didn't think of that. Very good. Anybody else, any questions, comments, concerns? You look like you have a question. <laughs> no? Okay. Um, well, if you do come up with anything, please do let me know. But this one, I'm going to go through it a little bit quick because it's really deep, really hard to understand. But take it home, read it over a couple times, pray about it, and you'll... Hopefully you'll be able to, to get it. Maybe you'll get it right now, and that would be great too. But um, I can't say enough about the number 1,000. If we were to get into like what each letter of the alphabet, because every letter of the alphabet in Hebrew has a numeric value. Like Aleph is one, Bet is two, um, Resh is three, Dalit is four. And then when you get to 10, it goes 10, 20, 30, 40, and then it goes up to 100, 200, 300, 400 with Tav being 400. So anyway, if you take a word like sun, B-N, it has a numeric value. It's like 400 and, I guess it'd be 402. Okay, so you, it's a, a form of math and that's how they do their math. The Jews do their math and and um, they everything from measurements to 
Bible study, it, it, every letter has a, a numeric value, okay? So there are several ways we can take Jesus and cross and various words, and we come up with a thousand. And I can't remember all of them right now, and I didn't write them down because there's, there's a lot of ways, but thousand is very important. I put in here um, a little bit of one of the reasons why thousand is important, but um, just know that the number 1,000 is extremely important and Again, there are no idle words in the Bible. So in Psalm 90, verse 4, when David says, A day to you is like a thousand years, Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. And when Peter repeats it in 2 Peter 3, 8, he's not being symbolic in saying, Oh, it's just like, you know, you could have said 10,000, it would be the same thing. You could have said a million years is like a day. No, a thousand is important. There are no idle words in the Bible. Why is it important? If we go back to the beginning of time until now, how many years do you think it's been? Anybody want to say 6,022? That would be the logical explanation, but it's actually not. It's less than that. Um, On the Hebrew calendar, the year is 5783 just turned a couple weeks ago, or 10 days ago, turned to 5783. So that's still 200 and some, 217 years short of 6,000, okay? But in the Jewish tradition, there is a discrepancy about what year it really is. See, what they've tried to do is they tried to take the Bible and they try to figure out when time, cre- time began, and they believe we're 5,783 years since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. But there's a discrepancy, and there's as many as roughly 200 at most, and certainly over 100 years missing that they lost during the Dark Ages. So there's a discrepancy. So what I'm trying to get at is, if a 1,000 years is like a day, and a a day is like a thousand years. If we look at the story of creation, seven days, we're probably going to get to a point somewhere where we are going to hit that seventh day at 7,000 years, right? But before that, Jesus would have to return because he is going to reign in the book of Revelation, says he will reign for a thousand years, okay? So he will reign for a day of rest, or a thousand years, or one day. So let me, now that I've really confused you, let me go back to the beginning. (laughs) Just know that a thousand years is a day, and it's important. There are so many people that try to say that it's just symbolic, and he could have said 10,000, he could have said a million. No, I don't believe that. God said a thousand because it's significant for Jesus, it's significant for the end, it's significant for all of history. So let's look at this. On day one, God said, let there be light. And the light was separated from the darkness. In the very first thousand years of time, from the time Adam and Eve were created until they died, and they died within a thousand years, because they were 900 and some years old. I don't remember the exact number. So 930? Thank you. Genesis 5.5. Thank you. So they died in that first day, right? So we can also say, even though I believe they died spiritually when they ate from the tree, they died within a day, according to God, because they died within a thousand years. With me? A thousand years is like a day. So a thousand years is one day for God. When he said, you're going to die in that day, and they were 930 years old, they died in that day. Make sense? Physically died but they spiritually died too. So anyway, in that first that time with Adam and Eve is when sin came into the world, when light was separated from the darkness. Okay, I think I've lost everybody, but I'm going to continue on. Like I said, take it home and pray about it. Day two, so from the year 1000 until 2000, whenever that was, from the creation, you know who lived during that time? You know who built an ark during that time, and there was a flood on the earth during that time? Noah. And what happened on the second day? God separated the waters from the firmament, and dry ground came up 
So within that second thousand years, even though it was a creation, the second day of creation, water covered the earth and then dry land came up all within that thousand year period. Of course, it was only 40 days and 40 nights, total of 120 days with water covering the earth. But it all happened within that second thousand year period. So what happens on day three in creation? God said, let there be seed-bearing plants of their kind. The seed-bearing plants come up out of the ground. We have trees, we have grass, we have seaweed, we have okra, whatever else might be. <laughs> whatever else might be, rhubarb, <laughs> okay? Plants were created, seed-bearing plants. It specifically says seed-bearing plants. If we move forward in the year from creation, this is from Jewish tradition, this is not in the Bible, but you can probably take time to figure it out by adding up who begat who and how old they were. In the year 1947, from Adam and Eve's creation, Abraham was conceived. 1947, it's at the bottom of page 5. No, no. 1,947 years after Adam and Eve, he was conceived. And then 1,948 after he, he was born in that year, 1,948. Okay? So that's, that's still within two years, though, 2,000 years, right? So that doesn't make sense. That, that's not how, why, where am I going with this? Well, when he was 80 years old, which would put us into the year 2028 after creation, because he was 80 years old, he was born in 1948 after creation, 80 years later would be 2028. I know it's confusing. He was told by God that you are the seed of many nations. Okay, so seed-bearing plants on day three, we're now into day three, Abraham is the seed of many nations. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of looks like, what are you talking about? What I'm trying to show you is that each day of creation, and I got them listed out here on page five, course, each thousand years of time from the creation of Adam and Eve until where we are right now has something significant happened that is significant with the days of creation. So essentially what I'm saying is God told us a story of creation, but it's a story of our entire history of the world, assuming that the world is right around 6,000 years old right now. Now, a lot of people don't want to believe that. They believe it's millions of years old, but let's just say it's 6,000 for right now. 6,000 for creation. Sure. Seeds. Right. So that was just because it was the Garden of Eden? No, that, that all happened on the third day of creation. So let's say creation is seven days, okay? And on the third day, God did create all those plants and everything in the garden, but Adam and Eve weren't there yet. They weren't there till the sixth day. So, yeah, they were created on the sixth day. So, it still works. <laughs> but basically, what I'm getting at is that seventh day, we're not there yet. But they were 930 years old. Right, right. So they died in the first day? Well, they died in the first thousand years okay, first of time. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is that there were seven days for creation. This is the way the Bible is put together a lot. There's, there's the surface level. You read it and you understand it. Then there's a deeper level that has a more, excuse me, more spiritual meaning and a lot of symbolism in it. And then there's even a th more levels that we probably don't even understand. The Bible is shallow enough for you to wade in it and understand it, but it's deep enough for you to take that deeper dive at the same time. And, <laughs> and drown, she says. <laughs> so in the first seven days, there was creation. But if a day is like a thousand years, what God's shown us is that for these 
6,022 years or however long it's been since we've been here, and we'll say 6,022, sure, that, that we'll go with that. 4,000 B.C. and then 2,022 since after B.C., okay? In all that time, each one of those thousand-year periods correspond, whatever happened in that time corresponds to the same thing that happened on the day of creation. So when we get to 7,000 years, which we don't know how close we are to it, um, depending on how you look at it, we could be very close, like within years, or we could be 200 years away. There's many ways to look at it. But when we get to that thousand years, that final, we're ready to go into the 7,000th year, that's the seventh day, that's the day of rest, that's the millennial kingdom, that's when Christ returns. So God's showing us that not only did he create the world, but he essentially is telling us the entire history of the world in the Bible. It's pretty amazing if you can wrap your head around it. I know it's very difficult, but take it back with you. Read it over a couple times. Let me know if you have questions about it, and we'll go from there. And if you feel like you're going to drown, then just stay, under, stay, stay in Genesis 1 or 2. You know, don't, if you feel like it's too much, then you don't have to dig into it. But if you're interested, it's there for you. That's why it's called bonus content. You know, um, we got to be careful with the biblical code because they're, that's been hijacked by the enemy. And it, it, it's turned into a cult, it's turned into a religion, it's turned into all kinds of things. But God did indeed put things like this in the Bible. Um, almost like codes. Almost like codes, yeah. I didn't really have time to get into all of them. And I, I knew that this was going to blow people away, so I didn't want to throw in all these other things too that really make you not come back. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to think. I'm trying to show you that the Bible is deeper than just Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's deeper than that. And as you, as you dig into that deeper, it'll help bring you closer to God because you'll appreciate Him more and what He's done, and it will strengthen your relationship with Him. That's the whole point of this. So honestly, though, now I'm thinking maybe I won't do the deep dive into Joseph like I was going to do. I'll keep it on the surface, but I'll give you the deep dive in the, in the paper, the handout for you, because I don't want to lose you next week, because it's deep. Um, it's very deep. Joseph's in a, the story of Joseph is just absolutely amazing. Okay, we're running out of time, so does anybody have any questions? Everybody coming back next week? Mm-hmm. Is that seven days or 7,000 days? Okay, that's, that's the question for the ages, okay. So for everybody on Facebook, the question was, when God created the world in seven days, is that seven days or 7,000 years? Is that what you're asking? Um, yes. <laughs> it's, it's both, really, okay. Um, it doesn't matter, right. It matters, but it... It matters, but don't get tripped up over it. If, it. if it's bothering you, then and it doesn't matter. But it matters because um, if God just had the Bible just be, hey, this is a great story of creation, a good Sunday school lesson, then we would never really dig deeper and know him better. But he has put so much in the Bible that if we want to, we can go beyond just that initial seven-day creation story, and see how it relates to history, we can go beyond and see, I mean, there's things about each of the days that I didn't have time to get into, and how each day relates to Jesus. And so there's that in there too. And then even, like, with let's go back to Ruth. Great love story, often quoted in in weddings, um, your people shall be my people, your Lord shall be my Lord, your God, my God, whatever. But when we dig into 
the story more, we see how a picture of Jesus as redeeming the lost person who was, you know, a foreigner in a strange land, which is essentially what we are. Um, in Moses, you know, coming out of Egypt, Egypt represents the world, and Moses brought them out of Egypt. Jesus brings us out of the world. So each one of these things, I'm trying to show you how it's a little deeper than just the stories that we read, which are great, and if that's all you get, that's fantastic. But if you want to go a little deeper, it's there for you to, to pull it out. So, and the creation's the same way. So it's okay to say, yeah, seven-day creation, sure, that's, that's exactly what it was. But then it's also okay to say, oh, well, I see day two, there was a flood. Not on day two of creation, but 2,000 years after Adam and Eve, there's a flood. Interesting. Or within that 2,000 years. It's complicated. It took me a long time to wrap my head around it. Um, but I wanted to put that out there for people to, to be able to, if they want to, take it to God and dig in deeper. God will give you what you can handle at the moment. And then he'll take you a little further. Just like when, you know, if a child's learning to walk, the day they're born, you don't put them on their feet and say, start walking. You got to let them strength, get strengthened. You got to let them sit up. You got to let them crawl. Then you pick them up and they fall down and you pick them up again. And that's what God does with us. He doesn't just throw us into the deep end and say, start swimming. He says, here, read this story of creation. Read the story about the Exodus. Read the story about Ruth. Read the story about David. Now I'm going to tell you why David used three stones, which is something we're going to talk about. Why did David um, say to Goliath the words that he said? You know, on the, store, in, on the surface, David and Goliath, he picks up three stones, he throws one at Goliath, hits him in the head, kills him. Great story, but there's so much more to it that we can go deeper into. Right. And I really, well, and you know what? I feel that God has told me to teach this, and not everybody will grasp it, and that's okay. But at some point, I believe this is going to happen. In some point in your life, you're going to, somebody's going to say something about it, and you're like, I remember that now. And that's when God will use it to help you in that moment where, when you find yourself in that moment. Because that's the way it worked with me. Like somebody told me about, um, I don't know, told me about the, the story of Ruth. Whew, way over my head until I heard it again a couple years later. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Let me, I remember hearing about that. Let me dig in a little deeper. And then it started to make sense to me. So that's, that's the way God works. But the fact that you're here shows that you want to learn. And God's going to honor that. He's going to help you. He's going to give you, I can't give you what you need. Only God can give you what you need in the time that you need it. I'm just planting the seeds to let him make them grow. So anything else? Oh, evolution. That's a... Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So in day five, when we uh, made the animals and mm -hmm. animal life. Right. Animals on the fifth day, right? The, in that thousand years of the fifth day is when, so God created life on the fifth day, right? Jesus died on the cross, gave us new life in that time. So... That's what it represents, is that the new life came. Created life, new life came in that time. Yeah, I thought we had, yeah. Okay. Um, all right, well, let me say a quick prayer, and we'll go. Father, take what we learned tonight and help, it, help us to grow into it. Help us to remember. 
help us to understand in your time and in what time is best for us. But more than that, Lord, use this lesson to, to teach us to seek you more, to know you more, to try to understand you better. Lord, we know that it does nothing for our salvation because we believe in you and we know we're saved, but let us build our relationship with you. And Father, keep us safe as we travel home. Keep the animals from running out in front of us. Help us to find our way and pray that we can come back again next week and learn about Joseph. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody.